Hi, and welcome to the iPhone Life podcast. I'm Donna Cleveland, Editor-in-Chief at iPhone Life. And I'm David Aberbach, CEO and publisher. As you can see, we're both <laughs> recording from home. <laughs> well, we did this last episode as well, and we'll be doing that for the foreseeable future as we all are navigating the coronavirus pandemic. So we both have mics here. We're at home, so we're doing our best with lighting and sound quality, but we appreciate your patience as we're navigating this along with all you guys. That is right. And today we have a lot to cover with you. We're going to go over all of the rumors for Apple's fall iPhone event. Uh, I know a lot of you are probably wondering if all of this happening with the coronavirus is going to affect Apple's usual release schedule. We'll go over all of that. We'll also talk about Apple's new iPads with trackpad support. And we're going to talk about Apple's new partnership with Google to come out with a contact tracing uh, technology to help slow the spread of the coronavirus. So all that's coming up, but first David's going to tell us about our sponsor. So much to cover, but yeah, let me talk to you about our sponsor. So today's sponsor is GoBuddy, and today I'm going to tell you about the Case Buddy Leather Watch Roll. Um, this is really an excellent product for uh, when you, when we're all able to travel again, uh, and you can take your Apple Watch, you have and your cases, uh, and. Uh, you put it in this nice little roll. You take your Apple Watch, your bands, you put it in this case. It's vegan leather. It looks really nice. It protects your Apple Watch and your bands. Uh, and I also want to, it's also very affordable. It's only $19. I also want to tell you about a product that I think will be very useful to everyone right now as the weather's getting nicer. One of the best things you can do because we can't go to the gym is to go for runs. And EarBuddy also has these little silicon clips that they attach to your AirPods or your EarPods and they wrap around your ear and they prevent them from falling out of your ear. So those are two great products from EarBuddy, both affordable, both available on Amazon and we'll link to them in our uh, podcast notes at iphonelife.com slash podcast or look them up at Amazon if you look for CaseBuddy and Buddy spelled B-U-D-I or EarBuddy again spelled B-U-D-I. Next, I want to tell you about our favorite tip this week. For those of you who don't know, we have a free daily tip newsletter where we send you a one-minute tip each day that tells you something cool you can do with your iPhone. The tip I want to tell you about this week is how to use Siri to track it, whether or not you have COVID-19. So you can ask Siri, either activate hands-free or press and hold the side button or home button and say, something like, do I have COVID-19? And Siri will walk you through different steps asking what your symptoms are. If you check out to not have serious symptoms, Siri will send you to the CDC website and will you know, tell you things like how to social distance and how to wash your hands properly. If you're having somewhat um, like medium symptoms, it will send you to its telehealth app page where you can choose from different telehealth apps for those of you who aren't aware, telehealth allows you to see doctors just using an app on your phone, which is pretty cool. And that's being recommended lately. Like if you're not having life-threatening symptoms, you can do that. Again, I just want to say I'm not a doctor, so I'm not giving you medical recommendations, <laughs> but I'm just telling you about this new Siri feature. So that's what will happen. Um, and it's, for me, I've used telehealth now a couple of times. It is a really good 
option to know about if you're trying to avoid leaving your house now, but you need medical attention. And lastly, if you're having really serious symptoms, it'll offer to call 911. Your Siri will offer to call 911 for you. And these are obviously, these are scary times. And I actually do know people who have had to use this app and they've, people I've talked to have used the app have been really happy with it or use Siri to track their COVID-19 symptoms. It seems like it is actually very effective. When I first heard about it, it almost sounded like a gimmick. Like there's so many different ways to look up your symptoms, but people who have been using it have been actually happy. So if you are experiencing any of the symptoms, it, it does sound like a good option, a good first line of defense. Again, we're not doctors. Definitely. You want to consult with doctors as well. <laughs> yeah. And, and just to clarify, David mentioned an app there. Apple also did release an okay. app, a COVID-19 app. So you can download that. And that's something you would, you know, tap through the different options instead. Whereas Siri is, it does it, you know, hands-free. I think this um, is also, so, oh, go ahead. Oh, is it say again, iphonelife.com slash daily tips is where you can go to sign up to get tips like, like the one I just shared with you. And I, I think this is also a good time to tell people about our class because we are doing a class on staying connected from home, everything that you need for social distancing. Uh, and we have made the decision to, if you're on our email newsletter list, you probably got some emails, to make the class free so that everybody can access this. Uh, we all are staying home right now. And one of the things for me that's been keeping me sane is having group calls with people. I actually had two group Zoom calls yesterday, uh, one with my side of the family, one with my partner's side of the family. So, you know, this class will walk you through everything you need to know for group calls. Um, for We have text messaging tri tri tips and tricks. We have apps to use. It's got all that stuff. It's free. Starts tomorrow. So that's Wednesday the 15th. So make sure you sign up today at classes.iphonelife.com. Yeah, thanks, David. This is, we will go over tips like the one we just shared about, you know, if you are having symptoms that there, you, there are options on your iPhone, but I just totally agree with David that this is a really challenging time, whether you're having symptoms or not. And it can make a huge difference being able to still keep connections going with your friends and sort of simulate having a party, but do it through Zoom. That'll be one option or FaceTime or a group chat. So we'll teach you all of that. And we're really excited to be offering it totally free. Yeah. Uh, and I do want to put a quick plug for sharing this with your friends and family who you think would benefit from it. People who have iPhones who are social distancing, this is free. We want everybody to have access to it. So if you're going to take it, you can get the most out of it by taking it with your friends or family. If for some reason you're busy or you don't want to take it, uh, sharing with people who would benefit from this class as well. Yes. And at our uh, iphonelife.com slash podcast, we'll have links, uh, but you can go to classes.iphonelife.com if you can remember that now. But that's always an option to go get that link and share it with all your friends. Uh, next, I want to tell you about our premium subscription, iPhone Life Insider. This is our full premium service to help you master your iPhone. We have in-depth video guides. Now, while you're stuck at home, it's a great time to really get in-depth and learn how to use all of the functionality of your devices that you carry around with you every day. Uh, we also have, you get a full archive of iPhone Life magazine. We've been around for more than a decade with iPhone Life, so there's a lot of great content to catch up on there as well free video tips. So you can have a video walkthrough of these short 
bite-sized tips every day. So with very little effort, you're gonna be mastering your iPhone every day. You can go to, uh, you can get a special discount as a podcast li listener if you go to, David, do you remember the URL? <laughs> iPhoneLife.com slash podcast, podcast discount. discount. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we've been like on a little hiatus with the podcast recently, so I it took me a minute there. We're rusty, but we're getting there. We're getting through it. Yeah, um, so you'll just, get a just, discount. Just a couple things to add. First of all, we actually have increased the discount. Uh, it used to be you save $5, now you save $12, so a little bit extra discount. Um, we are a small independent publisher, so I know it can be a little confusing because we cover iPhone. We are not associated with Apple uh, in any way, shape, or form. Our only title is iPhone Life, so the entirety of what we do is help you all master your iPhone. Uh, and so it's a tricky time as a small business in general right now, but in particular, it's tricky to market. So we're trying to find the balance between making as much of our content as accessible as we can, offering these free classes, but also subscription revenue is our primary revenue stream. We rely on it in order to continue as a business. We've been so thankful to all of you guys who've gone and subscribed these last two months. We had a huge outpour of support. We really appreciate it. It's allowed us to continue providing free content and continue to provide content to insiders. So I want to make, I want to thank everybody who has gone subscribed and also just make that plug because it's, it's a tricky time to be trying to charge people for things, and we understand that. Um, we did just come out with a messages app guide, which is amazing for this time of year or for this period right now. Um, it'll walk you through group messaging, managing notifications, all of that. And we're currently working on a FaceTime guide as well. So we're trying to come out with content that's relevant for all of you guys right, right now, as well as for the future. Thanks, David. So you can go to iphonelife.com slash podcast discount to sign up for Insider at a special deal right now. And again, our class we're offering completely free, but we really appreciate the support to keep our editorial team intact during this time. If you do decide to sign up for Insider. Now I'm gonna tell you about an insider who wrote in recently with a question because one of the features you get as an insider is access to our editorial team. So as you have tech problems, we help you solve them. Uh, I'm going to read to you what one of them wrote in. Dear iPhone Life, all of a sudden now when I answer a call and put it up to my ear, it automatically has it on speaker, which really hurts my ear. I've tried turning my phone off and back on and that didn't help. That has never happened before. I'm hoping you can tell me how to change this. Sincerely, Ear Blaster. We're keeping people anonymous. <laughs> uh, that is not your real name. Fun fact. Yeah. <laughs> howdy, Ear Blaster. I believe the setting you're looking for is now buried in settings, accessibility, touch, call audio routing. This setting lets you select the default for which speaker to use when answering calls. Set it to automatic. My guess is that somehow you set it to speaker somewhere along the way, which has led you to have the audio from every call routed to your speakerphone. Not ideal. Cheers, Colin. Colin is the one who's been answering these questions lately. Um, I might actually set it to speakerphone on purpose because I like using speakerphone. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say is it's a nice, it's not only nice if you accidentally did this feature, it's nice to know that this feature exists for people who do want to have the default be answered by speakerphone. I agree. Yeah, the accessibility settings on your iPhone, I feel like a lot of people don't know about, but it has 
some really good stuff in there. So I'm glad that an insider wrote in to bring that to all of our attention. Yes. I also wanted to tell you, uh, read to you a comment from a listener. It's nice to hear during this time that we're helping out, you know, our iPhone life fans. So it's great to hear this. Your learning facilitation publications are more important than ever to everyone that has an iPhone and or iPad. Distant, remote, and from home working, learning and medical services are filling major new needs that have come to be due, that have become necessary during the world's ongoing pandemic. I wish that more and more people of different ages, education, experience, and current needs could, could get access to all the content that you offer. That was great to oh, hear. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> all right, David, why don't you tell us about our second sponsor for this episode? So our second sponsor today is OWC, and I'm going to tell you about the Envoy Pro X, and it's a really powerful external hard drive. It's a solid state drive, which means it's, it's very fast. It also has uh, uses USB 3, so it has a USB-C plug, so it transfers data really quickly and easily from your computer to the solid state hard drive, uh, and it also just looks beautiful. It's they, they're using an aluminum design that matches your MacBook Pro or whatever computer you have. And so it looks really sleek. It's light. It's portable. It's perfect for anything that you're needing to back up right and right now, as we're all kind of relying on our computers for everything, you want to make sure you're backing things up. Uh, or if you do any work where you need to store things remotely, it's also valuable for that as well. And it's really affordable. So make sure you check it out. Uh, we'll link to it at iphonelife.com slash podcast. And again, the company's OWC and the product is Envoy Pro X. All right, without further ado, let's get into all of the Apple news and rumors that we have scheduled for this episode. <laughs> um, I think it makes sense first to catch people up if they were not paying attention to the new iPad, the new iPad Pros with trackpad support. David, I believe you wanted to. Yeah, well, wanted so to catch people up on that. The iPad itself, I would say, is not actually, I'm not that excited about it, to be honest. They basically updated the iPad Pros. They added a LiDAR scanner, which is good for augmented reality, which I personally don't use very much. Donna, do you ever use augmented reality for anything? No, occasionally I use, I've used Apple's built-in measure app because I wanted to try out augmented reality, mm -hmm. but I haven't found it to be that accurate. So I get out the old tape measure instead. <laughs> yeah, and I appreciate that Apple's moving the ball forward on augmented reality because it's one of those technologies that does have a lot of potential down the road. And it feels like yeah. Apple's putting building blocks in place. Sometimes this happens with Apple where they'll be putting building blocks in place. And for a while you're saying it's not useful, it's not useful. This happened with HomeKit. And then all of a sudden, all the pieces come together and it's really useful. So I'm hoping that's what happened because I don't think very many people are gonna buy a new iPad, which is like $1,000 just for the LiDAR scanner. It also had added uh, an ultra wide camera. So it has new and improved ca cameras. They added a new processor. Um, they have the new chip, which is faster. Um, so it's a, it's a slight improvement. I have the iPad Pro from the last generation, which I love. Um, and so if you have an older iPad, I do want to put a plug for it because it has a beautiful display. It's edge to edge. The processor is amazing. Uh, and now, of course, it's even more improved. So I do love the iPad Pro. This was a minor it's update. It's not but an OLED display, though. 
Right? Yes, it is yeah. not an OLED display. And so when I got it, I was kind of disappointed by that. And I do love my OLED display on my iPhone. Um, but it is a noticeably nicer display, even though it is uh, LED from the previous models. So uh, it is a nicer display. The main thing though that I found really exciting actually was both the keyboard that came, the magic keyboard that you can now purchase and the iOS 13, iPad OS 13.4, which has mm -hmm. improved, uh, improved mouse support. So this keyboard now has a mouse built in uh, and you can now have improved mouse support. So app, Apple with iOS or iPad OS 13 added a mouse support for, but it was buried in accessibility and it, they kept saying it wasn't really for a mouse. And it seems like they're actually leaning in now and adding actual true mouse support for iPad, which I think is really exciting. Yeah. I mean, we've talked a lot on this podcast about the limitations of the iPad when it comes to doing real work. And mm -hmm. I think to me, it seems like Apple's finally taking this pretty seriously. I mean, first of all, creating iPad OS, like its own operating system for the iPad, signify that they're moving in the direction of like really adding capabilities that are going to make it more of a desktop replacement type device. And mm. now with the mouse support, I mean, that's, that's definitely making it more serious. I'm curious, have you tried the new mouse support on your iPad yet? I have, um, I have not. I've tried it since iOS 13 came out, but I have not updated to iOS 13.4. So I'm really excited yeah. to do that. So um, we'll have to report back to people to let them know yeah. how that is. Cause it was just a like couple of weeks ago that Apple actually released, like they announced the new iPads mid-March and then it was end of March before they actually released iPad OS 13.4. So it's very yeah. new. But even messing around with uh, iPad OS 13, actually one of our new sponsors, Bridge, has for a while now, they came out with a keyboard case for the iPad Pro that has a trackpad built in. So I've been messing mm. around with that for a while. And it's pretty good. It's intuitive. It's easy to use. Um, so for a while, you know, when the iPad Pro came out, I wrote a pretty scathing review of it, basically saying the hardware itself is great if you're using it for kind of relaxation or very light work, it's excellent, which is what the iPad was originally for. But Apple has been marketing it as a replacement for a computer. Like if you go look at the iPad site on Apple's website, they basically say your next computer won't be a computer. And I've been arguing for years now that that is just not true, that the software is holding it back. And that actually Microsoft, who for a long time on their Surface, uh, the Microsoft Surface Pro, has basically a fully baked uh, desktop operating system into, in their Surface Pro, had the right solution. And so it sounds like Apple is moving in that direction, finally, because I think that the hardware can support actual working in actual kind of power use situations, but the software wasn't there. So I'm really excited. I think there's a huge leap forward for Apple, more on the software side than the hardware side. Um, and also the Magic Keyboard looks awesome. It's, it's, they did a really nice job. It's really sleek. Yeah, it's cool. And it's nice that it's so easy to pair. Like you can pair any Bluetooth mouse now just in your Bluetooth settings the same way yeah. that you would a pair of headphones. 
And with the track, if you're setting up a trackpad, whether it's something like Bridge or Apple's Magic Trackpad, mm-hmm. uh, there's setting in those settings. You can also customize the experience. I haven't done it personally yet, so I'm not sure exactly how that works. But I thought that sounds nice too, because um, I would imagine it is a bit unusual. It's not exactly the same as your desktop computer. So having some customization options would be nice. Um, I think that's it. And one other thing I just wanted to point out with the ultra wide camera, you said, this is two cameras now, right? Like you have the ultra wide and the wide. So this would also bring, um, just in general, it would help with the portrait photos too, as well. Yeah. And I, I'm kind of, I'm so skeptical of that. Does anybody carry around their iPad and take photos? They keep adding nicer, nicer cameras. And it feels like they're checking a box on some like checklist that nobody cares about. Like I never do that. The front facing camera is valuable, especially these days, because we're all doing FaceTime, but I never take photos with my iPad. (laughs) I agree with you, like both with the LiDAR scanner and with the dual lens cameras. I'm like, I I probably would recommend to someone, even if they're upgrading from an older iPad to buy the 2018 generation iPad Pro and save some money. Cause it's like, you get the nice display, you get the face ID, but you don't have to pay extra for these features that aren't gonna really matter to you. Yeah, I, you're probably right. The only caveat I will place is this is one of those things where we tend to, our industry in general tends to look at the long list of features and analyze sort of the fancy new things but the processor is usually the most important thing. And as we are moving towards using an iPad as a computer, uh, and I think Apple's gonna be adding more and more features in that light, uh, I think that the improved processor might be worth it. But the other processor is pretty amazing. It's not a bad processor. So you're probably right, but I just wanna put that plug in there for their added processor, because I think it is, it does make a large difference. Okay, cool. So I'm going to go over with all of you a new Bloomberg report that came out that has a lot of specifics about what we can expect from the new iPhones this fall, as well as some other devices to expect. And I'm pretty excited about a lot of what's being talked about because we've been hearing a lot of rumors over the past few weeks that Apple may delay its iPhone release. It's, Apple's been very regular about releasing phones every September and we were hearing it might not be until October or November that Apple was releasing phones this year. And that was, that's because of the coronavirus pandemic and not only slow um, disruptions in the supply chain in China, but also just concerns over what the demand will be in the fall because of the global economy. And there still are a lot of question marks. Like we don't really know how this is all going to unfold. The report said itself that all this was subject to change depending on what happens in the next few months. But Apple's still sticking to its plan to do a September iPhone release. It may just, some of the models they're coming out with, there may be like a few weeks of pre-order time before you can actually get one, which isn't that unusual for Apple actually. So here is what, what we can expect. Four handsets this fall, two premium ones, which is follows the usual trend and like two lower end ones, which is a little different because Apple's been doing usually one lower end cheaper phone. Like right now we have the iPhone 11. Um, And apparently these phones will follow more of an iPad-like form factor, iPad Pro-like form factor. 
Apple's been for a while now doing a more curved screen and curved edges and the new iPad pros have a hard edge, a flat edge to them. And apparently the new phones are going to have a flat edge. So flat stainless steel edges and a flat screen that doesn't curve at all. They will support 5G. That's something we've been waiting for for a while. This could also bump up the price of these phones. And the premium phone will also have the LiDAR scanner, like with the new iPad Pros. So they're going to be set up for all these new augmented reality features that David and I are, <laughs> are skeptical of, uh, but think eventually will probably be really cool. Uh, they'll have the three lenses, the same that the 11 Pro line has. And apparently Apple's working towards getting rid of the little notch at the top of these displays, but won't be completely gone for these phones. They'll be smaller though, apparently. I'm So let's pause here. Uh, how are you <laughs> feeling about this? I'm excited about the smaller notch. I really, I don't know that I care about the iPad like design versus the like the tapered edge. It feels like Apple just goes back and forth between the two to say they did something different, right? Like, do you care? Yeah. Not at all. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, the smaller notch I'm excited know. about. It's interesting to know, but I, like, I don't, it's not a, per, like, wouldn't at all factor into a purchase decision for me. No. Although I will say, I know I'm going <laughs> to, it's becoming a controversial stance apparently, but I am so excited for 5G. I'm so excited to have an iPhone that supports 5G. Is it a controversial stance? I mean, it depends who you follow on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some people are worried about 5G. We, I'll link to the episode we did about this. Um, yeah. Which helped clear up some of my concerns. Yeah. But, um, which I didn't have that many anyways, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it was interesting to hear some of the concerns addressed in that episode. Um, so then, oh yeah, the premium phones went over that. Apparently the largest premium phone will be a little bit bigger than the 6.5 inch 11 Pro Max. Again, not a purchasing decision for me. I like my 11 Pro size. I don't really need the supersized phones. You know what? Interestingly, I was, I, um, in the next episode, actually, we're going to do an interview with my stepson who has a phone now and he has the 7 Plus. And I was looking at that 7 Plus on the bigger screen and feeling a little bit jealous of it. And I was really? considering for my next purchase going with the bigger size, but actually if they made it any bigger than it already is, that's actually a deterrent for me. Cause it, it's all like, I, this, I have the 11 pro now. I don't have the 11 pro max. It's already pushing it to go to the max any bigger than that. And I'm going to be, I'm going to be unhappy. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah. I mean, now that we're spending so much time at home, there's not as much of a portability issue right now, <laughs> but I mean, hopefully this won't be the case. Uh, you know, for that much longer. But um, yeah, to me, the biggest thing, it's like I can put, have like a, one of the larger phones carrying around in my purse, but a lot of people carry phones in their pockets. And if you're getting that yeah. much bigger than six and a half inches, it's going to be annoying to carry around. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the budget phones will have two lenses and presumably will continue to ha not have the OLED displays, which I love my OLED display. So it keeps yeah, me, me wanting to go with the premium ones personally. And I, I love my portrait mode. I love, I love my three cameras. So I probably will yeah. stick with my, my pro. Now the next rumor, I think David, that you will be very excited about this. I'm so excited. <laughs> Apple is finally going to be coming out with a new HomePod, which has felt, David's talked about this quite a bit, that the HomePods felt like a very neglected product line. 
Mm -hmm. Apple has not been updating it regularly, has not been adding new features. And um, the few people in our company, who, we have a company one that we can all work with. And then David and Sarah have HomePods at their house. And it seems like what does work well makes it really worthwhile to have, but it is like it could use some TLC in a lot of big areas. Uh, so this new HomePod is supposed to be half the size, cheaper, which is nice because the current one starts at, isn't it 349? Um, it's been, they've been slowly lowering the price. It was 349, but I think it's been sort of mm, trending down. Maybe 299 is the, or, yeah. I don't know, somewhere between 300 and 325 or something. Um, it's gonna have the same overall look and design, Apparently they're going to add more music services, which would be amazing because David and I are big Spotify fans. And right now you can only play an Apple music subscription on your HomePod, which feels like not cool. I think. Not cool. I agree. <laughs> um, and Apple has apparently been acquiring AI startups to improve Siri because another problem is just uh, limitations that other, that, Google and Amazon don't have with their personal assistants and that they're going to be improving smart home features too. This is all vague beyond the concrete, like adding new music services, but still all sounds like good things to me. I, yeah. And More this is one of those, I'm, I'll tell you why I'm really excited. Um, I am, I think I'm in the, by far the minority to say that I really prefer my home pod over my, uh, Amazon Echo. I have both. And Amazon Echo really, it, they, it gets most of the coverage and kind of people tend to consider as the industry leader because it has more functionality. You can have third party apps with it and they just have really fleshed out some more of the functionality. Whereas the HomePod definitely has been neglected from a functionality standpoint as we were just talking about. But A, I find that the integration with all of my other Apple products makes it so much more usable for me as somebody who has all these Apple products. And B, I find the experience of using it to be a lot better. And this is something that doesn't get talked about much, but Siri, I find does a better job understanding my requests than Alexa does. Um, and I just find it's easier to use. And so I actually love my HomePod. It's a product that a lot of people, I'm always surprised. There's a lot of people don't even know that it exists as an Apple product. I love mine, but it definitely needs some of the functionality that Amazon and Google have, which is A, better search functionality, B, ability to use third-party apps, um, and C, adding other music services because it is first and foremost a speaker, I use Spotify. And so it really limits my functionality as a smart speaker that it doesn't integrate with Spotify. So I'm really excited about all these things. Um, I've been putting in a plug for a while now for Apple and I hope they listen to me, not just having a smaller speaker, but actually having kind of the equivalent of the Amazon Echo Dot, which is a really small little speaker because I have a home I have a smart home and I'm using Siri to control my smart home. And I love it when I'm in my room where my home pod is and I can use Siri to control everything from my home pod. And if I, but I'm not going to spend $350 or even like $250 to buy speakers, each speaker all over my house. But I would spend like $50, which is the price of the Amazon echo to have a few of those around my home so that I can use Siri through that. 
Yeah. Uh, it makes a lot of sense to me. It does, the rumors don't sound like that's happening <laughs> this year. <laughs> I know. But um, at least we're getting a cheaper one. I also am skeptical of how much cheaper it's going to be, to be honest. Um, but they're saying it's expected to be second half of this year. So we might be seeing this new HomePod at the September event. And Apple's also expected to come out with Apple tags. For some of you listeners, you may have used tile trackers before. They're mm -hmm. little Bluetooth tags that you can, they have ones that are like really flat. So you can put it in a credit card slot in your wallet and use it to track your wallet. Or uh, you can put it, attach it to your keys as a little keychain. And it's, uh, so it's a useful way from a phone, from an app on your phone to track your devices. And this, then to me, what's appealing about having an Apple one is a presumably this would then make items like your purse, wallet, or um, keys show up in your Find My app along with mm -hmm. all of your Apple devices. And that's just, it's just, again, like the Apple integrations really make Apple devices more appealing than these third-party options is that you can just see everything all in one app and use, and uh, kind of simplify your life that way. Same with a smart home, home kit compatible smart yeah. home things. You can like, you can control them all through one home app as opposed to like going all these different places. Have you used tile? Do you have any tiles? I have a tile tracker on my keys and I have never lost my keys. So really all that's happened <laughs> is just occasionally I'll by accident press a little thing on my tile tracker where it plays a weird song and really startles me. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so, but it's, so it's been only, only just the peace of mind of having that, but okay. I haven't used it yet. Cause I've never really gotten into it. I, for a while I had a tile when, um, my stepson was younger and we would, we were traveling. I, we'd have him keep a tile in his pocket cause we'd take him to the zoo and places like that. And we didn't want to lose him. Um, that's a good use case. It was a good use case, except for we had a similar problem where he discovered that he could push a button and make annoying noises on my phone. So I'd be walking around the zoo and my phone would be <laughs> making weird songs. Um, yeah. But I, uh, I'm not that excited about this one. I feel like Tile is a pretty nice service. The integration is nice, but unless they do something that like, this is the part of Apple that really annoys me, to be honest, is when they just take somebody they blatantly take somebody else's idea and then they just like smack the apple logo on it and they say it's integrated um i appreciate the integrations but i hope they do something that pushes the technology farther than what tile has done and doesn't just take it and say it's integrated you know what i mean yeah apparently we'll come in a leather sleeve i mean i don't know if that's the kind of thing you're wow. looking for <laughs> yeah nothing i've read about it makes it sound like it's gonna be pushing the envelope more with, with what it, what it does beyond that. It will yeah. be integrated with other Apple services. So yeah, yeah I know what you mean. And it's, it's said to be coming out at some point this year, maybe, okay. I don't even know, but the home pod I'm much more excited about personally than the Apple tags. Um, that's all I have for rumors. David, do you want to talk about this Apple partnership with Google? Yeah. So this is really interesting. Um, so one of the things that I've been reading a lot about is sort of what happens next as a society, you know, how do we start to reopen up our society, uh, after social distancing? And there's sort of a few paths forward. The best path forward is going to be when we can get a vaccine, but that's 
realistically probably at least a year away. And none of us are wanting or planning to spend the next year at home. So the question is, what do we do in the meantime? And there's a few things that will make that a lot easier. A lot more access to tests makes that a lot easier. But another thing is something called contact tracing. And basically what that means is, if when somebody does test positive for COVID-19, if you can contact everybody who has come in contact with that person in the last 14 days and get those people to self, uh, self-quarantine, then the rest of us likely don't need to self-quarantine. And so the problem though, is that a lot of times with COVID-19, there's a large, there's a long period of time where you don't show any symptoms. So it's hard to really know how many people you've come in contact with and for how long. And especially you may walk by somebody at the grocery store and you didn't know them. You don't know their phone number. So that's where this partnership with Apple and Google comes in. And basically what they're doing, it's fascinating. They're going to use Bluetooth. And every time you get within six feet of another person's phone, and of course, between app Android and iOS, that covers, I don't know, probably 95% of phones at this point. Uh, every time you come within six feet of the phone, it will uh, take note of the fact that it happened. And then when someone tests positive for COVID-19, they enter that data into their phone and it notifies everyone who has come in contact with that person. And it does it anonymously, which is nice. So it doesn't, you know, what Apple and Google are saying is it's not going to keep their contact info. You don't have access to people's contact info. You don't have a list of people who have COVID-19 because there's a lot of privacy concerns, which we'll get into in a second. Um, but that's basically the gist of it. Apple uses actually a very similar technology for Find My so that in addition to using uh, geolocating, they actually have Apple devices talk to each other via Bluetooth so that if somebody disconnects your phone from Wi-Fi, you can still usually track it down based on the fact that it's near other Apple devices. Um, so it's really, it's called a mesh network. It's really expanding that across to Apple and Google together and applying it to COVID-19. Um, and what I leave out, Donna? <laughs> well, so when I was reading about it today was that I was curious, like how, like does, what sort of contact do you have to have with someone before it would be considered that you were in contact with someone who had COVID-19? And uh, I, Apple apparently said you'd have to be in the proximity of a couple of feet from a person for okay. 10, mi 10 minutes before oh, it would say, before it would tell you that you had been subjected to the virus. Um, and then the other thing was just the, I think a lot of people have concerns that this would be used as a surveillance tool for people. Yeah. And I mean, you already covered this, but just that Apple would not be storing any personal location or, or data in any central place. Like they're just using it for this purpose. And then apparently once this tool wasn't needed, the Apple would like get rid of all the data that was in it. And the, um, the and other, the other thing is that oh, it's opt-in. Yes. That it's opt-in. And so, and the Apple, I guess, drew a very clear line that they were not comfortable and were not going to be using this as a government tool, like to require people 
they weren't going to allow the government to track you basically. Like this is something that mm-hmm. you are opting into and that you're, it's all going to be anonymous. Um, and so it seems from what, what I can tell that Apple is still standing behind its stance of protecting user privacy, which in general, Apple has been pretty good about that. And Google, I guess, has been saying all the same things but Google yeah. doesn't have as good of a track record. <laughs> so, I mean, this is, it's a really fascinating topic. And so I, I want to spend a couple minutes just exploring it because there's a, there's several really slippery slopes here. Uh, and in general, as a society, we are going to have to deal with the trade-offs of privacy and health for the next year, at least until we get this vaccine. Uh, because, in reality, if you do, if you make it optional, how secure are we as a society? If you really, in order for society to feel comfortable to open up in the ways that we were open before, you need to know that you're not going to be coming in contact with someone who has COVID-19. Uh, and so there's a lot of questions around what happens if the government requires this? Would they work with Apple and Google? Would they do it themselves? Are Americans comfortable with Apple and Google owning this information? Are they comfortable with the government requiring this? Because basically what it would look like, and it's kind of crazy to think about, would be like you could go and you, you go to the grocery store and you have to scan your phone at the entrance before you walk in the door. And if you come in contact with somebody who had COVID-19, you're not allowed in the door. Um, that feels really nice to me if I'm someone who doesn't want to come in contact with COVID-19, but it's also pretty scary. Um, So a couple of the slippery slopes are, number one, tracking someone's location and everybody who they come in contact with is a scary piece of privacy that we, who do we want to give this to private companies? Do we want to give it to the government? The other one is if you uh, read up on how China is now operating, and even before COVID-19 has been operating, they have a lot of technology like this, but they're applying it beyond just, are you sick? And more like, are you paying your credit cards on time? Are you, have you gotten in a car accident lately? Are you nice to people? And so there's a lot of slippery slopes there. If you imagine we set up this infrastructure to only allow somebody in the grocery store if they're healthy, what happens if they don't pay their taxes? Could we let not let them in the grocery store because they didn't pay their taxes? Uh, and there's a lot of privacy concerns around this. So it's really interesting. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on it, be, Donna? Well, a lot of it, what, what you're saying is sort of like about precedent. Like, yes. are we setting a scary precedent and also sh- proving that we have, like, we already know we have the capability. We already have the technology to do a lot of scary things with our phones, you know, when it comes to privacy that, but a lot of it is we just have a strong precedent that, that that's not cool. Like you can't do that. But if we start, you know, seeing strong benefits, for instance, being able to stop this virus by people opting in and doing this, like a case could be made in the future of like that. It's enough of a public health benefit that we should make it mandatory. Yeah. And everybody who owns a phone has to be like giving away their private data to the government or whatever. And like, so I understand it is scary. On the other hand, I think that, you know, you and I are both pretty pro technology. Um, I definitely am and feel like if there is a way to help solve this global crisis uh, using our phones, and I do for the most part, think that Apple has been trustworthy with people's personal data. 
I can't help but overall feel like the benefits outweigh the risks. But um, I understand. I, I think that it's really good that people are asking a lot of questions and holding Apple and Google to that standard and letting them know that they don't want to, you know, that people aren't going to be comfortable using this technology unless they feel that they are protecting our privacy. Yeah. And I think the point you're making as well is that the other side is really scary as well. If we do not take actions like this, what happens? And that's been something as I've been kind of following the, these stories of not just what's happening right now and are we flattening the curve, but what happens once we start to flatten the curve, how to reopen up society. There aren't easy answers to these questions. And it, it's going to be a year or so before we really, until we all have herd immunity or we have a vaccine, that's going to be a risk. And it's a matter of risk management. And if we all decide to social distance for the next year, what does our economy look like? And so there's risks on both sides of all of this stuff. Um, and so, yeah, it's really tricky and complicated and there aren't easy answers here, but it, it's also just, it's both exciting that technology could play a big role, but it's also scary in the privacy concerns. On the other hand, I also think if you're using an opt-in type of technology, I just wonder how effective it will be because it seems like a lot of people wouldn't use it. Yeah. I mean, I'm I glad agree. that Apple is trying um, and Google are both taking this seriously and putting resources behind this. Um, but I feel like it's one one of many tools that could help this situation. But we wanted to make our question of the week is hear from listeners what you think about this. Uh, if you, I guess in May, Apple's going to start pushing out this software. Um, and uh, we would like to know if you plan to opt in. Email us <laughs> at podcast at iphonelife.com and let us know why or why not. Do you plan to opt in? And also, are you comfortable with a bigger picture solution that involves contact tracing on your phones, even would you be comfortable with it being mandatory as well? So I, I'm interested in your, all of your thoughts on this. Will you opt in to Apple's current solution? And how do you feel about that solution being applied on a larger scale? How do you feel about it being mandatory? <laughs> I think, I mean, I think I've been talking about that. My partner and I have been having this debate for a while. I think that you, if we can have a solution that allows us to basically operate as a society again and leave the house, I think that's worth it. And I think it's scary, but we, these are scary times. And I think if I'm prioritizing, you know, on one hand, causing a depression in our economy and not being able to leave my house, and on the other hand, kind of these abstract concerns of what are the privacy implications, I'm choosing these abstract concerns because I need to leave my house. And I, you know, <laughs> we all need an economy. <laughs> yeah. David's answer is like, well, I need to leave my house. So yeah. get yeah. me out of here, please. <laughs> yeah. What about you? Um, I, I would definitely opt in, but I, I don't feel comfortable with mandatory. I think that, I think that Apple holding that line and not setting that precedent to me is important, but I, I think part of the, if people won't opt in of their own or not enough people will opt in to make it effective, like then it's a different conversation. But I think for sure the, the way to start is to create an opt-in app and hope that that's a big success. 
Yeah, uh, and there is a middle ground here, which I don't know if people will, will, if this solves anything for anybody, but it doesn't have to be mandatory. All that has to happen is businesses, if businesses start only allowing people who have the app on their phone, then it doesn't have to be mandatory. But then in order to be out in society, you would want to have it on your phone. So that's a middle ground where the mm. government is enforcing it. But yet like we Like before are, you come into a restaurant or something, you need to show that you have the app yeah, or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, Just like you show your ID before getting into a bar. Um, right. You, you know, and that in and of itself has a lot of slippery slopes. So I'm not, I'm not saying that that's a perfect solution. But that, I mean, because ha there has to be, unless you are actually making sure that people are not functioning in society with COVID-19, none of us are safe. So this all, we all sort of have to make a collective decision on this one way or another, unfortunately. It's, so the voluntary only works if you are also voluntary. If there are places where the people who are volunteering for this can go, <laughs> you know? Yeah. All right. Well, this has been an interesting discussion. Email us in at podcasts at iphonelife.com. Let us know what you think. And if you're an insider, stick around. We have some exclusive content for you coming and right don't up. don't forget to sign up for the course. It starts tomorrow. Yes, the class tomorrow. Go to classes.iphonelife.com to register. It's completely free and should be a lot of fun, actually. So. And by tomorrow, we mean April 15th, because you may listen to this after that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And it goes on for a month. So even if you... Uh, hear this after the 15th it's not too late to join and just join in uh, wherever we're at and you can listen to the replays of lesson one on your own time yes all right thanks everyone thanks everyone bye